Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from ToloveHonorAndVacuum.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based biblical advice for your marriage and sex life. We are a week out, less than a week now, from the launch of the brand new, totally revised Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and the Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex. They are launching on Tuesday, I believe, and I'm so excited. I have today my daughter Rebecca on the podcast for the first part. Hello. Yes, my husband will be joining us later to answer some reader questions, but we are going to talk about what the Christian world, the uncomfortable truths that they don't want to talk about with regards to sex before marriage. Yes, and this is why research is important. Yes, because but be- yeah. before we get to that though, I just want to do a shout out. This is not our sponsor. We don't have a sponsor right now. If you would like to sponsor this podcast, please let me know. <laughs> but I do have an affiliate that I am totally passionate about. And if you follow my links, I will make some money from that. That money is going to go to providing transcripts for this podcast for the hearing impaired or those who are running after kids and don't have time to listen. Yeah. <laughs> But I just totally love Nick's bras. Like they changed my life. Mm -hmm. I completely love Nick's bras. They don't have underwire. They fit in a totally unique way, but they actually do fit. Like, yeah, because I found, because I've tried a bunch of different kinds of bras other than your traditional kind of underwire bras. And I find that usually they're just, in essence, glorified sports bras. Mm -hmm. Right? And Nick's is actually different. Yeah, like they look really good. They feel amazingly comfortable. Yeah, like Nick's, in my opinion, in in our experience, is the only like non-traditional bra that fits and makes you look the same as wearing a traditional bra, but even kind of better because there's less, like it, it, yeah. it, it morphs yeah. your body there's better. There's no like, there's no like side boob. There's no uniboob. <laughs> like it's just, it's perfect. And there's even one that gave me cleavage, which is quite the, the, the I mean, feet. it's just, I'm going to, yes. miracles. Miracles, I'm... miracles just keep happening. <laughs> and um, NYX also has amazing leak proof underwear, um, mm-hmm. which is great for teenagers too. Yep. Or for people who just suffer with heavy periods overnight yes. as well. It yes. can help if you do like leak proof underwear, like plus a pad. Yes. Can often, yes. Can, can help. So go check that out. Use my links, please, because then the money will go to support this podcast. So NYX.ca or NYX.com, the links are in the podcast notes. All right. So let's talk. Yes. So here, here's the thing. And I want to say this from the very beginning, because we're going to talk about two different scenarios that are uncomfortable truths Mm -hmm. that we in the evangelical world like to overlook Mm -hmm. about. Or just we have bad pat answers for, which we'll get into. Right. And before I do that, I do want to say that I believe that waiting for marriage for sex is a good thing to do, that this Mm -hmm. is what was intended, that this is overall results in much better outcomes i think and if you think about it like back in the old testament okay when god was setting up humanity when he was giving us his ideas for how to run a nation a country a family why is it that he wanted sex for marriage and when you think about it in that context it's to protect people and to enhance intimacy if you don't keep sex in marriage, then children are born outside of wedlock and they're not protected. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have lifelong marriage, then once those children are raised, then the wives can be discarded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so having sex in marriage creates this bond that becomes stable and that keeps people protected. So it's a very protective force. And that's a good thing. And research has repeatedly shown this is a good thing. Yeah, especially <laughs> seeing sex as sacred. Yeah, that's and then the that's thing. the other side of it. So it, it protects people, but then it also grows intimacy. 
in a way because when sex is seen as sacred when real intimacy can blossom that is a good thing and I think that is what God intended yeah and so when we're looking at all these conversations we're talking to you today we want to keep that in mind is what's the guiding force behind Mm -hmm. these kind of biblical principles or Mm -hmm. that these 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 principles that we see cropping up all throughout our history as Christians right Mm -hmm. like our sexual ethic and that kind of uh, situation. Anyway, yeah, that's what we want to talk about. The- yes, but here are a couple of uncomfortable. Here's here's yes. some uncomfortable truths. And the first one is this: we're often told, um, in youth group especially, mm-hmm. just wait until you're married to have sex because mm-hmm. everybody wants kids to wait till they're married, right? Mm-hmm. You gotta wait till you're married. Um, and how do we get them to wait? We threaten them and we bribe them. Yes. So the threat is this: if you have sex before marriage, you will either get pregnant, get an STD. Uh, get infertile or die. Yeah, no, then <laughs> this is, I can think of a Brio article for everyone. Yeah, and, and we've been looking through many of the books written to teenage girls yeah. for our mother-daughter book, which is due in the publisher in and two it's, weeks. And, and you would not believe the number, where it's literally, if you have sex, you will get infertile. Like, like no babies. N- no, yeah, yeah, no babies ever. ever. That's a quote from Dana Gresh. Yeah. Um, it, a lot of it really does sound like, um, what's that movie? Mean Girls. Mean Girls. If you have sex, you will get gonorrhea. And you will die. Yeah. you. And I think it was yeah. chlamydia. Chlamydia. You chlamydia. And, and you, you will die. die. Yeah. Like the, 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 you will the, get pregnant. The coach, and you will die. The coach who's doing the sex ed, if you yeah. have sex, you will get chlamydia and you will die. Exactly. But a lot of our books sound like that. And so that's the threat. Then there's another threat. So that's the threat as in like really bad things will happen to you. Mm-hmm. The other threat is you will never be able to experience sex the way that God, God meant for you because we're all like sticky paper mm-hmm. and sex is supposed to glue you together. And when you have sex with multiple people, you lose the stickiness and then sex can never be as wonderful once you're married. Yeah. So in essence, it's you are damaged goods for life. You are mm-hmm. ruined. And then they say things like, but you can have a secondary virginity. Which actually doesn't make logical sense. It makes no sense. Because yeah, it, it, it actually doesn't make logical sense. It makes sense. no sense. And also like all, I, I will just put a little, like a lot of people say, but the oxytocin and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm, that There's a lot more to it than yeah. that. And, yeah. and a lot of people who are very pro like sex before marriage are willing to twist what research actually says to mm-hmm. promote an agenda over actually looking at truth. And frankly, we don't need to be afraid of truth. So mm-hmm. let's let's yeah. not yeah. use half-truths with science to yeah. prove to people that they had sex before marriage, they've ruined their lives. Yeah, yeah. So. It actually, yeah, there's a way more nuanced conversation with Gandhi. Yeah. It depends whether you're looking at like, well, it's also like they say like, oh, well, because oxytocin is released, therefore, if you have sex mm-hmm. before you're married, you're bonded. You know what else releases oxytocin? Being warm. <laughs> yeah. Holding hands. Yeah. Hugging. Now, I mean, it's a bigger rush during sex, but... but- actually... Not always. Like, there. this no? is what I mean. It's very, very complex. Okay. And all the oxytocin does, in essence, is very short-term. So yeah. what what, it, what it's... In essence, it's like you have to keep having sex in right. order for the oxytocin to keep the hits going. Okay. It's, it's much more complicated than that. It's like, yeah, of course there's bonding stuff that goes on. But you also bond with your friends. Mm-hmm. You also bond. Like, bonding... So this is speaking from the woman who calls me after she breastfeeds her baby and she's in tears going, I just love my Every baby. single time I nurse Vivian, <laughs> I am so extroverted that I have to call someone and be like, my baby is so cute. I get oxytocin hits like nothing yes. else, okay? So, but, but you're right. It is but a it's, more, it's more conversation. So, yeah. Yeah. But, um, so, so they're saying sticky paper. Yeah. So either you're going to die you're gonna not be sticky um and so then there's the bribe yeah so those are the two threats the bribe is this if you wait until you're married you're gonna have the most amazing sex yeah like just wait and then when you have sex how god intends it's gonna blow your mind right yeah okay you could never imagine the gifts that god has for you that kind of thing yeah here's the uncomfortable truth Mm -hmm. (laughs) we looked in our survey 
of 20,000 women. We looked at women who had only ever had sex with one partner, yeah, their now husband, current, yeah. their now husband, and he'd only ever had sex with her. So people who had only ever had sex with each other and we controlled for abuse. Yeah. And then we compared people who had sex before the wedding with people who had sex after the wedding. Yep. For so the in first essence, time. In all cases, they'd only ever had sex with each other. Mm-hmm. Because some of them were virgins on the wedding night and some of them weren't. Right. And what we found is that if you wait for the wedding night, you have a 25% higher chance of having vaginismus. Yep. Yep. And so we have proven that the idea that if you wait until marriage, you'll have the best sex of your life is false. Yep. Now, what we're going to tell you about in the rest of this podcast is, is why. Why and how that does not need to be your story. And that's a huge part yeah. of the Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex and the Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. Yeah. But this is an uncomfortable truth. And this gets to something deeper, which is we need to change how we talk about the reasons that we wait. Mm-hmm. Because what we're doing is we honestly are giving young people false information. And when you do that enough times, it's kind of like the boy who cries wolf. Yes. Eventually, they're not going to believe us on anything. (laughs) Yeah. And we don't need to mislead. We don't need to make things seem rosier or scarier than they are. God doesn't need us to defend him. Or lie for him. Or lie for him. And there are good reasons to wait. And I think if we talk about those good reasons... Rather than scary, scaring them about the sex conversation, which really is far more nuanced, we would get further ahead. So let's talk about why it is that women have higher rates of vaginismus mm-hmm. on their honeymoon. And I think we have a lot of information from our focus groups that really elucidated mm-hmm. this for us. Did I say mm-hmm. that right? Elucidate? Eluc- yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Illuminate? Elu- no, it's like elucidate to bring light I think, to. I think, well, illuminate is to bring illuminate. light. Illuminate. No, but there's also, illu- anyway, <laughs> I, this is, we will, we will figure it out. But yes. anyway, um, but it brought, it brought it to light, I think, when I talked to a lot of um, women who have experienced vaginismus in our focus groups, and this is why mm-hmm. we did the focus groups, try to tease this stuff out, is mm-hmm. what every single woman who experienced vaginismus who was in a non-abusive marriage said to us at one point is that they can remember a point before they were married where they almost had sex. Like, mm-hmm. they were panting. You know, the clothes mm-hmm. were almost coming off, and they stopped it. Yeah. And they turned it off, and they felt so proud of themselves. And they thought, we are doing it. We're living a Christian life. Right. And then they get married, and they have sex on their wedding night, and it hurts, and it's bad. And what they all said, every single one of them, was mm-hmm. looking back, I wonder what would have happened if I had had sex that time my body wanted to. Yeah. You know, and they said, I'm not saying that they wish they'd had sex before they were married, like not saying they wish they'd gone against their conscience, right. but just what would have happened with their vaginismus mm-hmm. if the first time they had had sex, they were so incredibly aroused, they had a hard time saying no. Mm-hmm. And I think that really stood out to us when we were mm-hmm. interviewing these women because, you know, these are a lot of women who still believe in a Christian sexual ethic that mm-hmm. means that you wait until marriage. Right. You know, that's, that's still what they believe. But what they're saying is they just wonder if it did more harm because the first time they had sex, they did it because they felt like, well, it's time. And it was so overwhelming, Mm -hmm. right? And it wasn't that they were forced. It wasn't that their husband was mean about it. They wanted to do it too, but they weren't going by. Because what happens is you get to the hotel room or the apartment or whatever it is. You take off your clothes and you're standing there naked in front of each other. You don't know what to do. You feel awkward. Mm-hmm. You get on the bed and then he tries to put it in. Yeah. Essentially. Or maybe even like, you know, a lot of people too, they said like they did things like you did the shower together and you do the whole trying mm-hmm. to touch it, but you're just so 
nervous and you don't really know what you're doing. Yeah. And then... But you know you're supposed to have intercourse. Yeah. And then you kind of feel like, well, it's been a while. Let's go for it. Yeah. And I guess we're supposed to go for it now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it just doesn't end up good. And every mm-hmm. single one of them just said, I wonder what would have happened if my first time I had actually wanted it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the message. If you're, if you're yet to get married... That's the message that we want you to hear is that the first time that you have intercourse should be because your body wants it. Yep. And so don't okay? just, so if you're waiting for marriage, don't just wait for a wedding ring. Yep. A wedding ring does not guarantee you're going to have good sex. No. Okay. What the thing about good sex is that you need to be in a safe relationship. <laughs> so that's, that's vitally important. We know yeah, that for it to be psychologically good. It needs you to need be, be... psychologically and, and, and women's sexual response is very tied to yeah, Not always. Not always, but it, 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 it is. In term, when we're talking about good, we don't just mean orgasmic. We mean good yeah. in all sense of the word. Right? Yeah. We have emotionally mm-hmm. healthy, spiritually mm-hmm. healthy, physically healthy, right? Yes. The spiritual and emotional aspect, you have to be in a safe relationship. Yeah, and right? about because about, yeah, about 20% of women, I believe, can reach, reach orgasm without feeling emotionally close to their husbands. So there mm-hmm. are some women who yeah. do, who aren't necessarily in a safe relationship, but the sex physically works yeah. well, but 80% need that need yep. to feel. So yep. this is, so again, with all this stuff, it's always nuanced, yep. but in general, women do need to feel emotionally close. They need to feel in a safe relationship for sure. That's a big part. But then there's just the sexual response cycle. Like, sorry, but there's... It doesn't change. No, and, and I remember growing up hearing in youth group all the time or through Brio Magazine or all these different Christian things that people who have, like girls who have sex outside of marriage don't have good sex, mm-hmm. right? It's like they also have to be like, oh, you're just in the back of some guy's car and it's just not good and it's, you know, you're just being used by him and girls only have sex to feel like they're wanted. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. It's just not true because orgasmic sex happens when you're aroused and then stimulated in a way where the arousal over turns into orgasm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't like uh, your body does not know if you are married. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like that, that's just, that's just the reality. Yeah, and there's a lot of single people who are orgasmic. And yeah. so, and that doesn't, so, and that doesn't yeah. mean to threaten the but, church. But once you are married, you know, you still need the sexual response cycle. Yes. Like, like you're not going to have an orgasm just because you have a wedding ring on. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> we still need to work with our bodies. Yeah. And- we don't have some vending machine God that, like, you know, mm-hmm. just like slot in one marriage and then you get unlimited orgasm. It's no, like, that's not no. how it works. And there's so many people, you know, you get back to that hotel, you get back to that, that apartment, wherever it might be, and you're just kind of awkward. But you're not quite sure what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you touch each other a bit and then you figure, well, I need to do it now. Yeah. But you're also extremely tired because this has been the longest day of your life. You probably haven't slept much in the last week. You've probably come off of a really stressful couple of months. Many people get married like right at the end of something. So yeah. right after exam season mm-hmm. or, you know, you've, you, you're a teacher and like in the weekend after your final classes yeah. or, um, whatever it might be, like, like you're in the military and this is right after basic training or like, whatever, <laughs> whatever, like you tend to get married when you have this break in your life of an yeah. extremely stressful life. So you've come off this really stressful time, this really long, tiring day, and it's bewildering. 
And when we asked women um, to explain how sex felt, a lot of them, that's what they said. They said bewildering. Yeah, like overwhelming or just Mm -hmm. kind of like deer in headlights a little Mm -hmm. bit. I asked on Instagram um, this week about if people could do their honeymoon differently, what would they do? Mm -hmm. And this one woman said this. She said, ironically, I was prepared for sex months or years before my wedding when it would have happened organically, but we waited until marriage. And then on our honeymoon, it felt expected, assumed, maybe even coerced. Like I wasn't having sex because I was enjoying myself, but because it was now my duty. I was woefully unprepared for that feeling. I would have been much better prepared emotionally had it happened naturally instead of under contrived circumstances. Yeah. And a lot of women have told us very similar things. Like it's that on the wedding night, it just feels super awkward. And it feels like you can't say no because, you know, you've been spending, okay, I'm getting married in 412 days. That means in 412 days, I get to have sex, mm-hmm. right? And that's what you've both been doing. You've been counting down the days until you can have sex. Like not, not until yeah. you're married, but until you can have sex. And then there you are and you want to have sex, but... It's just really strange because it doesn't feel like it's coming naturally. And so, you know, a big part in the good guy's guide to great sex and the good girl's guide to great sex is how to, how to make it into a natural thing rather than something that we just have to do. Yeah. Um, and for that, there's a three point plan. I've talked about this before. I'm going to reiterate it again. Okay. The aim is to first feel comfortable, just Mm -hmm. feel comfortable naked together. Okay, get over that awkward feeling. You have to be able to touch each other. You know, it's okay to laugh a little bit, like, <laughs> but you have to get over the awkward feeling. So you feel comfortable. Then figure out how her arousal works and spend a lot of time here. Like just hang out here for a bit. All right. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about intercourse. <laughs> um, figure out how arousal works, even for both of you. It's okay to touch each other. Your first time reaching orgasm does not have to be through intercourse. In fact, it's probably better in the long term if it's not. It's probably better if you can figure out how bodies work first. Um, and, you know, as we share, go listen to the podcast we did a couple of weeks ago on the sexual response cycle, what the difference is between, you know, desire and excitement and arousal and how those things are distinct for guys it doesn't feel like they are you know he gets an erection he's ready to go kind of all feels the same (laughs) but for women it actually does feel quite distinct and when we start doing the things that you should do when you're aroused like rubbing her clitoris like finding her g-spot like touching her breasts Mm -hmm. or whatever when you do that when she's not even excited it feels like a pap smear yep Okay, that's when it feels bewildering, which is what a lot of women told us. If you could just uh, put your feet up and I will proceed with the clitoral engagement um, for my required eight and a half minutes so that you are well enough lubricated for me to get in there. Uh, Like it's not hot. Okay, it's not not hot. It really isn't. So, you know, like what everyone says is they wondered what it would have been like if the first time they had intercourse and it felt natural like their bodies wanted it. Yeah. And so that's how you get there is you spend a lot of time in the arousal, maybe even find a way to bring her to orgasm in another way first, and then and only then have intercourse. And some people can do that all in one night. Mm -hmm. And some people it takes like a week or several weeks, you know, or however long. It doesn't matter. But let me tell you, please hear me on this. It is so much better. to take the time and not rush intercourse, but go at your pace so that you're comfortable and so you figure out how your bodies work, than it is to rush through something and then 10 years later realize she's never liked sex and now you have so much unpacking to do. So just, you know, get this right the first time Um, because the way that we are doing the honeymoon isn't 
working. We no. should not have a 25% higher chance of getting vaginismus if you do what your youth pastor tells you to do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And what often happens too is like, so we know the obligation sex message is highly indicated in vaginismus. So mm -hmm. when a woman feels like she doesn't have a choice, there's no time in her life when she's going to feel more obligated than on her wedding night. Yeah. <laughs> plus you've got the awkwardness, plus you've got the shyness. Plus tired. And you're tired. And then you try and it hurts. And now her body is going to start to tense up in a protective yeah. measure. Yeah. And it just gets worse and, and worse. it can get worse and worse. And so if it hurts, don't push it. Yes. You know, we always hear, well, sex just hurts. No, it, 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 it doesn't. doesn't. And people who say, well, sex kind of hurts the first time. What they mean is a tiny bit of discomfort that quickly goes away is yet aroused. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they don't mean that it hurts to the point that it's not fun. Mm -hmm. Like when people say that, they're incredibly ignorant of what sexual pain actually feels like. Because yeah. they think they felt sexual pain, but they haven't. But they haven't. They had a slight bit of discomfort as they were figuring out, oh, okay, that's new. And then they got aroused and it was like, yeah, let's go. Yeah. That's what they mean. And so if that's not your experience, then just mm -hmm. see a pelvic physiotherapist. Yeah. Work through it. Yeah. And most people who do experience pain the first time they have intercourse, you know, if you stop and if you just kind of go back and do the arousal thing, it doesn't lie. Like it honestly yeah. does go away. So we're not saying if you have pain, you need to go to pelvic floor physiotherapist on day two of the honeymoon. <laughs> but like if this is something which persists for like... Yeah, and if, and if arousal does not help. Yeah, if arousal does not help. That's, that's really it, what it is. Like, if yeah. arousal does not help, mm -hmm. and if at any point, like, you're in essence grimacing to get through. Yeah, that's like, not a good thing. Please don't ever grimace to get through. No. All right? But also, like, going back to what you said at the very beginning, you know, the idea that saving sex from marriage is not because of some arbitrary rule. Mm -hmm. This idea of, like, you know, God saying that sex is sacred for the marital relationship um, or for like, you know, just for two people and it's only ever you guys, mm -hmm. you know, I think that we just get so many messages from women who have had sex before they were married who feel like, you know, I did so well until like five weeks before I was married or something. Mm -hmm. And like, they feel so guilty about it. And it's like, you know, if we get back to the heart of a lot of this, is that really a problem? Mm -hmm. Really? Like, yeah. you know, I don't think that God is looking down at people who are like having a very natural relationship and like they were incredibly committed. It was just signing the paperwork in mm -hmm. essence. And they were right there. And they're like, ah, oh, we slipped up. And then we're trying. But like, you know, we're imperfect. Yeah. I don't, I just don't see the judgment of that in scripture that we see in the church. Yeah. And so like, don't let your marriage be bogged down by unnecessary yeah, guilt. Yeah, because if you did something five weeks before the wedding, and now you've been married for five years, and you're thinking, man, if I just hadn't had sex yeah, before the maybe, wedding. Maybe all the reasons that we're having all these problems in the marriage is because we had sex five weeks before the wedding. God doesn't work that way. No, like when we say that there are problems with having sex before you're married, it's like what happens if like you meet and you guys are like a, you know, a one night stand and you immediately start having sex and, and, and you're so connected on the physical level that it's hard to really parcel mm -hmm. out the emotional stuff. Like that's more of the stuff where it's like we skip steps. Yeah. You know, but like if you're, like there's just a level where I'm just sick and tired of seeing people put so much guilt and shame on someone where it's like, you know... Stats show that actually they're fine. Like yeah, the only reason, the only reason that someone in that situation would have worse sex is if they felt guilt over something yeah, yeah. unnecessarily. Yeah, and so you know, it's just, it's just we we need to be so careful nuanced. and nuanced of how we see this. And, and also, again, let's this remember, is a very this is a very modern first world issue. Like yeah. I I did a lot of I've been doing a lot of genealogy. I love genealogy, mm -hmm. and my 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 family is very interesting. They were really poor. Mm -hmm. I think I had some Irish prostitutes in yeah. the in the early 1800s I had an amazing con man 
in, yes. in, la- in the late 1800s in England. And that was why that family escaped to Canada and never talked about it. I also had a lot of people who were married after having two or three kids. Yeah. Because in those days, you didn't get married until the pastor came through town if you weren't Church of England. And they yeah. were all like you know, Methodists or, or whatever. And so there was a shortage of clergy. <laughs> and so in essence, like you'd be like, kind of like, in essence, engaged. Yeah. And you'd be living together as if you were husband and wife. And then you would get married and the kids would be baptized on the same day. Yes. Yeah, so you have all the baptisms. You have the, the wedding ceremony. You have all that on the exact, make everything official all at once. Yeah. And this was quite common in the past. And again, I'm not saying that we, we, we're not saying that you should have sex when you're engaged. That's not what we're saying. We're not we're saying. We're just saying that the, the emphasis that we put on is this on the as the main sin that you can do in your life is on the wrong is on the wrong thing and we'll be talking about this more when our mother daughter book comes out next next year yeah but it, it is a problem and it's causing a lot of people anguish that i don't think god wants for us like when mm-hmm. we get married god god like god says that we're now one flesh but also he doesn't like- he doesn't get mad and punish you for something that you did five weeks like he is not punishing your marriage because you did something that you regret well and also like remember like paul says in first corinthians 7 if they cannot control themselves they should marry and he blesses those marriages Mm -hmm. i'm sorry but how do you know you can't control yourself Mm -hmm. like that's still my question like how how does one know that they can't control themselves Unless they have been not controlled. <laughs> That's like logically speaking. Yeah. We look at 1 Corinthians 7 and like Paul's saying, listen, there's two people who really just want to be together and they're just, they can't stop it. Just get married. It's fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and yet here in evangelicalism, we say if you have sex as a person, even if you like, you know, you're, you marry them, even just a couple of weeks. We, we've heard from people who had sex like five days before the wedding and they feel like they doomed their marriage. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. that's just, that's not, that's yeah. not healthy. And, and, the, and again, the stats just aren't there. That no. is not what research says. There's a difference between. It's not what research says and it's not what scripture says. Exactly. Okay. So that was uncomfortable truth number one. Yeah. Here's uncomfortable truth number two. Mm-hmm. And this is primarily a male thing. Yes. Um, <laughs> where men write in and say this, my wife was all over me before we were married and sex was amazing before we were married and yeah. now we're married and she just she's dried up she turned she, right she, off and a lot of women will speak of it from the other side which is i really wanted it all the time before we were married and now i just don't and yeah. why did my sex drive stop as soon as we were married and yeah, a and lot of what people say is it's satan satan's yeah. out to get or, marriages or what a lot of men say is she defrauded me yeah she was lying before she was married in order to get me and now she has me and she's yeah. she's holding back and these are usually religious couples, right? So yeah. remember, these are usually religious Christian couples who mm-hmm. believe in sex within marriage, mm-hmm. right? And when they were dating, they like wanted to save sex, but they just didn't. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's think about what makes a couple who wants to save sex for marriage not. Right. So, let's talk yes. about that, right? Because it's not usually a logical, hello, let's talk. I would like to have the sex before we are married, even though we both have a conviction not to do so. What do you think, my lovely girlfriend or whatever? That's not usually how it happens, right? What no. happens is they're they're like watching a movie and they're cuddling and they're holding hands and then they're kissing and they're making out. And like nine hours later, mm-hmm. they're like, take my clothes off. Like, yes. It's, it's <laughs> yes. usually it's, it's not like a split second oops we had sex mm-hmm. it's like nine hours or mm-hmm. it's like they they had like five days where they were on dates and they were talking and they were chatting and they were touching and it just builds and builds and builds until all of a sudden you can't stop right that's what makes couples who have a conviction to wait 
not. Yes. Is arousal is just so freaking high that they can't stop. The way I described mm-hmm. it in one podcast, I think the You Have Permission one, is in essence like these couples are in essence having tantric sex for like four months. Right. Right? Where it's like just the, the traces along your neck and like <laughs> yeah. it's, all this stuff that's totally innocuous. But when you put it all together, it's like you're just so ready and raring to go. Right. That there's no stopping her. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And then what happens is they get married and all of that ends. Mm-hmm. And now instead of it being that she's so turned on, there's no stopping her. It's that he wants it and there's no stopping him. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of how we were talking about when we were preparing for this podcast was the idea is that before you're married, if you're trying to save sex until you're married, you're trying not to have sex. Yes. And so in essence, the drive to have sex has to be stronger than your conviction to not have sex. Right. Which means arousal. Yes, which means you really, really, really want it. Yeah. Once you're married, there's no reason to not have sex mm-hmm. in his mind, mm-hmm. right? Because he, he, he deserves it now. Yes. This is what you get. This is the payment. I married you, so now we get sex. Right. And so there's nothing that makes her have to build it up. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's no reason for it to be arousing anymore. Yeah. You know, it's not the danger of, oh, we're not allowed to do this as yeah, much. Yeah, that's what a lot of people say is, oh, the reason that sex is hot before you're married is because it's forbidden. And then once mm-hmm. you are married, it's not forbidden. And, and like, there's a level where some there, people, gen- like, that, yeah, yeah, sure, of course, it's always exciting to do something that's bad. But that it's doesn't fine. seem to be what's going on no. in a lot of cases. It really does look like before you're married, too, the other issue is you're having sex or you're doing all these things because you're really hot for each other. Yeah. So it's like, I love this person. Because it feels I want to experience this with this person. I'm totally in love with this person. But once you get married, that dynamic can change. Mm -hmm. And instead of it being, I want to do this because I'm totally in love with this person, it's, I want to do this because this is what I'm supposed to get now. Well, yeah, it's like, I want sex. And so you can't, like, why would you say no? Mm -hmm. Versus like, I want sex. And so like, let's make it so that like, you don't want to say no. Right. Right. Like there's, there's a difference there. I'm not trying to say they're coercive. There's just a level where like, listen, we all know how it is. Right. And it's just, yeah. when you get married, once again, it's not like her body suddenly changes. So mm-hmm. if she was orgasmic before you're married and she doesn't enjoy it after, that means that something relationally has changed or something that you're doing has changed. And yeah. for a lot of women. Now, just to, just as an aside. Pregnancy can change hormones and bodies. Oh, totally. So, yeah, stuff but like that. Just yes. a wedding ring doesn't. Yes, but yeah, a wedding like ring a lot doesn't. of people, like yeah. you get married, you get you get a kid, and then pregnancy and breastfeeding hormones are just like <laughs> have fun. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. But the idea of that, like, we got married, and then like you know, two months later, she just stopped having sex with me. And it's mm-hmm. like okay, so what I hear when you say that is, I was very attentive as a lover before I got married, mm-hmm. and then when I got married, I was very entitled in bed. Yeah. Like statistics, because when I look at the statistics, that's what it shows. Yeah. And even not entitled in bed, maybe he was going through some of the same motions, but his attitude shifted. But it's entitlement. Right. But, but I don't mean like, like he, he didn't do the foreplay necessarily because he could still be doing the foreplay. There's, there's yes. two different ways this can work. One is you don't do all the tantric stuff because you don't need to. And I yes. think that's, that's, that's it, much more that's, common. That's much more common or even, or at least it's significantly shortened. But the other is even if he still is like all into the foreplay and everything, if he acts entitled yeah it's like you're only doing the foreplay because you're you know that you get to get to the end right versus like a lot of times like if you're a couple who's again trying not to like if you're together for a while like you often just do things without having sex yeah and how many couples when you're married don't do anything without having sex anymore 
mm-hmm. right? Like how many times, like, and this is, this is what I, I've wanted to like, what, what I've really seen a lot in the literature is the idea that female sexuality is very holistic mm-hmm. in general, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas male sexuality tends to be more compartmentalized. Right. And that's not a bad thing. That's not like a problem. That's not There'd me be a saying... lot more erectile dysfunction if men were more holistic, I think. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't really know if that's the case either. But I think like in general, biologically... Again, sex is different for men and women, right? Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that women's sexuality be more tied to just in general, not just the relationship, but also like how she feels about her job and how she feels mental health-wise in general and all these different things. Because it's like, can I afford to be pregnant? Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Whereas men don't have to men don't have to figure that out as much, right? Um, and so when you look at this idea of how women often do better if sex isn't always just about intercourse and if it's not like every single time that you touch me it ends up in sex or every Mm -hmm. single time that you reach out to me I know it's like oh right it's been four days you know or like we don't kiss anymore and you're just not affectionate and it's like and then what men do is like okay well I'm gonna hold your hand more then and then they figure out in my head have done x number of things I have earned one half of one blowjob and it's like that's that's not good either okay like this is not a it's not a vending machine and I think Mm -hmm. this is what happens is before you're married, you see your, 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 who's then your fiance or your girlfriend as this partner of yours who like, is this amazing person that you're so in love with and you just enjoy getting to know her and getting mm-hmm. to explore her and getting to do this. And then you get married and it's like, this is the person who is my sex. Yeah. How do I get my sex from this person? Yeah. You know, and, and I'm not saying you're a bad person for doing that, but that's just the natural mental shift. And so we yeah. have to fight that, yeah. right? You have to fight that and be like, okay, I'm not going to be entitled about this. And I still have to realize that sexuality is more important than sex in my marriage and having a mm-hmm. holistic sexuality where like we are able to sexually and intimately connect without having sex. Yeah. And that's, by the way, not just an investment in future sex, but that mm-hmm. is part of the experience. Yeah. And let me throw some, some, a little bit of, of the research in here. Yeah. When men approach sex with the entitled mindset, mm-hmm. so she is obligated to have sex with me, her orgasm rate decreases by, I think it's like 35. It's, it's, it's quite significant. Yeah. So her, her orgasm rate decreases quite a bit. Okay. Mm-hmm. That can be a large part. Mm-hmm. So before she wasn't obligated to have sex because they weren't married. And yeah. so they were just enjoying it. But now he feels he might feel obligated and that's going to hurt it. But the other side of it is maybe he hasn't done any of these things. Maybe yeah. he hasn't actually changed, but she has because she believes the obligation sex message. So before sex was like this exciting thing that mm-hmm. they were discovering and experiencing together and then they get married and now she's like, I have to have sex every 72 hours. Mm-hmm. I don't have a choice. Like Kevin Lehman said, if you're not, if you're not willing to have sex every 48 to 72 hours for the rest of your life and he includes your period in there because you're mm-hmm. supposed to giving him hand jobs and postpartum because you're supposed to be giving him hand jobs or oral sex during that time then you shouldn't get married and so now it doesn't get to be this fun thing that you're experiencing together now suddenly it's this obligation just like women feel on their wedding night they they were looking forward to the wedding night their entire life and then they get to the hotel and they're like now i don't have a choice i have to perform and so that so even if he's not the one Mm-hmm. giving her this message even if he is more than willing to spend a ton of time on foreplay yeah <laughs> and all this if she has internalized this me- this message then sex can be worse well, after and we heard that from some women um mm-hmm. on in our focus groups which was so funny we heard from more than one woman who said that a couple of years into marriage they finally talked to their husband about frequency because they've been initiating every like three days uh, like yeah. they're supposed to as a good christian wife mm-hmm. they've been having all this sex and she's like i just 
I know that you need it. I mean, I know you have such a high libido. I'm just so tired. I'd really like to have to have more evenings to myself. And I and he was just like, I'm trying to keep up with you. Yeah, he never like, wanted sex that he often never, either. And he's like, I'm good with once a week, bud. And she's like, Oh my gosh, thank goodness. Yeah. Right. And they had like three years of her being like. Oh, okay, let's do this. <laughs> like, yeah, and, he, and he was doing the same thing to himself. He's, He's like, like, okay, buddy. <laughs> my it's getting going. So, you know, <laughs> like she's, you yeah. married a high drive wife. You will meet her needs. And he's, and she's over in the bathroom going, you married a man who has needs and you will meet them. And then they just talk and they're like, oh, yeah, no, we'd much rather just have a night where we're just snuggling, yeah. even snuggling naked and watching something. But you're no, no expectation to have sex. And in yeah. fact, having sex would be a little bit of a downer because you're actually just trying to connect in other ways. Uh, another way. So, and I think that's that's just we we have heard that enough times. We think that might be the case for more marriages. Than yes, think. than we think. And so here's these two uncomfortable truths: <laughs> is that the idea that sex will always be better mm-hmm. if you wait for marriage not statistically true, yeah. and in some cases it can actually be worse because of the way we do the honeymoon yeah and so if we change the way we approach sex on that honeymoon we can forestall a lot of those issues Mm -hmm. and then the idea that some people just simply have better sex (laughs) before they're married than afterwards again because of the dynamics of how sex is happening yeah and this is what we hear from and i do want to say this really quickly you know i spoke to the other group originally but we hear from a lot of women especially who said like you know we've really struggled in this area of our marriage. Our marriage is really suffering and stuff. And like we had sex like two, like we started having sex like a couple months before we got married and like it was just so good. And then we got married and things just got rough. And like, I know that I ruined my marriage because yes. I didn't wait. Yes. Statistically speaking, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Um, you having sex before you were married is not what ruined your relationship. It's not what ruined your mm-hmm. marriage. It's just that this stuff is complicated and mm-hmm. we love to have these really easy little catchphrases to give people where it's like, well, you know, this is what I did in my marriage, suffered. And so if my kids just don't have sex, then they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. they'll be good. It's like, not necessarily. Yeah. Again, we have to get to the to the messaging behind it where it's like, it's about seeing the person that is in front of you mm-hmm. and wanting intimacy and closeness and healthy a healthy sex life with them. And that means seeing the sacredness of sex and not yeah. just simply seeing it as a hedonistic pleasure yeah, it party. It means feeling means... trust and confidence in the relationship, which mm-hmm. means commitment should be there. <laughs> it also means that, you know, it's it's more important that you connect with the person than that you get your dues. Mm-hmm. You know, it means, because the, the thing is, if you do these things right with honestly good intentions, like mm-hmm. our, our studies have found and other studies have found that frankly, in good relationships where people are really looking out for each other, where you have mutually goodwill, where you're, where mm-hmm. you feel safe and secure, like sex just isn't much of a problem. Yeah. So we just want to give that reassurance because I know a lot of people are saying the reason I'm struggling is because we had sex before marriage. Yeah. And, you know, God does God is not punishing you like that. No. It doesn't work like that. Um, that's not what surveys say. And it also means that you can reclaim this. This isn't something you need to live with the rest of your life. Yeah. And then to people who haven't gotten married yet, <laughs> we just want to reassure you that you can start off well. 
Yeah. And please check out The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex for that. Two great books. There's discussion questions in them so you can go through them each separately and then talk about it before your wedding. If you're already married and you, sex just hasn't been working the way you want it to work, these are also wonderful books um, to read through together. They launch next Tuesday and I'm so excited to bring them to you. But I think that we can do this better. Yeah, and we just need to acknowledge that it's complicated. It's complicated. It's nuanced. There aren't easy answers. No. And I really just hope that for the next generation we can we can really teach them that the mark of a good marriage is not necessarily virginity. Mm-hmm. The mark of a good marriage is that you are able, you know, to treat each other as mm-hmm. Christ loves the church. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All right. I have brought my husband Keith on the podcast. Hey, everybody. So we're just a few days out now from the release of the books, The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. So exciting. Great. Good. Yes. We've, we've been doing lots of podcasts and talking about <laughs> it and... Yeah, I'm like on all these podcasts now. I haven't done that before. Yeah. Just, I've only been on yours. I know, getting out of your comfort zone here. So <laughs> <laughs> so um, Becca and I have just been talking about some of the uncomfortable truths that the church doesn't like to deal with when it comes to sex. <laughs> oh, so, you mean it's not a simplistic thing that we can tell everybody and there's easy answers for everything? Yes, like okay. we actually have need nuance. <laughs> um, and, and someone sent me a question that I thought I would ha- tackle with you. Okay. Okay. Sure. Really straightforward one. She said, "Can you talk about the saying, why buy the cow if you can get the milk for free?'" <laughs> yeah, so, what classic, do you think? Classic. What do you think? Well, the first thing I'd say is, okay, it's basically what it's saying is, "Hey, women, don't give sex to him until you're married." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the point. She's yeah. she's the cow, and why would she give the milk for free? Right. And I just don't think that that's a wise move to refer to a woman as a cow. <laughs> I just don't think that's healthy. Yeah, that's, <laughs> there's think, def- definitely some merit there. You're yeah. definitely, uh, you're, that's not a, I, I don't think it's appropriate anyway, but it's mm-hmm. also not safe. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I mean, it also has this mentality of uh, sex is sort of like a transactional thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. so all he wants from you is sex. So, you know, if you give it to him, then he, he won't come back for anything else because he's got what he's want from you and now he's going to move on. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad. I, I, I don't think that all men are like that. I mean, some men are like that, but not all. You know, the funny thing is, all right, I actually think this might be empirically true. Mm-hmm. Like if every single woman in the world went on a sex strike, <laughs> I think you might get a couple more guys to get married. Oh, yeah. I'm, like, yeah, especially, you know, guys, maybe your boyfriend, you've been wanting him to propose and he hasn't proposed or the guy you're living with or whatever. Like, like it might actually be be empirically true Mm -hmm. that if we didn't have sex that he would marry us but is that really what we want like if like if a guy doesn't want to commit Mm -hmm. then why do you want to marry him (laughs) because that's really saying like what he wants is sex he doesn't actually want marriage and it it, it treats sex like something which yeah is very transactional right Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's, this is what Mark Gunger was saying in your, uh, you were talking about last year, I think. Mm-hmm. You were talking about his marriage teachings. And he, he goes as far as to say to women, you're crazy. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're stupid to do this. Like, why would you give him this? It's all he yeah. wants, right? Men, yeah. this is what men want. Mm-hmm. And so don't give him this until you get what you want. But either way, that is terrible. So it's either it's saying that all men want is sex, which is not very good for men. But yeah. it's also saying to women, use sex as a weapon, right? Yeah. And so like as a guy, do you want to be married to a woman and then, you know, like, sex can be held over your head like if you're up if she's upset with you about the color you painted the living room she's not gonna have sex with you like yeah like, is that the way that sex is supposed to be in a relationship i mean it's supposed to be something we're both engaging in because 
we both wanted. Mm -hmm. Not because it's something that one person wants mm -hmm. and the other person doesn't. So therefore, you choose whether or not you give it to him based upon how he performs, i.e. he marries you or not or that kind of thing. Yeah. It's just a terrible way of looking at yeah, sex. Yeah, it's a terrible way to look at marriage too. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, because it, it assumes that men want sex and don't want marriage. Right. And women want marriage and don't want sex. Right. And and so, you know, you, you don't have sex so that he marries you. He doesn't really want to be committed, but now he's stuck. <laughs> um, and so well, you can have the kids and, that you want. Yeah. And a and, lot of guys feel that way right. because that's the way they've been raised. They've been right. told, you just want sex, you don't want marriage. It's like, that's not a healthy thing to do. Yeah, because then they don't really understand emotional connection. And and while I think that this was very much the way that we thought about it in the past, you know, mm -hmm. women needed to get married if they were going to have a family. This is what women really wanted. All they wanted was to have a family and guys really didn't. Commitment just was a huge thing. And so it was easier to be single. And so the solution was, we'll make sure that sex is only for marriage and then everyone gets what yeah. they want i i think that we need to rise above that yeah and, and that's very cultural i mean yeah like, there are a lot of guys who want like I, even when i was a young man i wanted to get married and have a family i wanted to be a, a dad i wanted to be a husband I, those are things that i wanted and i think it's okay to want those things and to sort of like idealize men as these like guys who just want sex and that's all they want i, I don't think that's what guys are like that's no i think healthy men want more than just sex yes yes and if and if a guy needs to be bribed into marrying you he's probably someone <laughs> you shouldn't marry yeah and so yeah. that's another big issue yeah. too. Okay, yeah. so there's one. Now, an actual reader question. I love. I okay. know that you love being put on the spot Absolutely. with these. This is your favorite I part. I always love being giving advice to people I've never met before with complex yes, situations. Exactly. Absolutely. Okay, but this actually, I like this question because I think it's really common. Like okay. this is probably the most common scenario that couples face. Not the most common question I get because it's not necessarily like as like DEFCON 5. Is DEFCON 5 the bad one or DEFCON 1? I thought it was 4. I thought they only went to No, it goes to, to 5, but I can't remember like which is which. Anyway, okay, yeah. this isn't necessarily like a total crisis, but I think this is what a lot of a yeah. lot of couples are facing. So here we go. So she writes, "My husband is great. He's a man that was set in his ways before we got married." And what do I mean? He washed the dark laundry on Wednesday and the lights on Sunday. After dinner, he always has to wash all the dishes. Every morning he makes the coffee and he brings me a cup and we watch the news. Okay, so very regimented guy. Mm -hmm. likes certain way of doing things. Pretty organized, sounds but, like. <laughs> but he is doing the laundry. He is washing the dishes and he is getting coffee. So he's also involved. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. good. Okay. So regimented, but involved. My problem is my love language is physical touch, not sex. I have a very low sex drive. His is physical touch. We've been married six years. We both know the other's love language, but it felt rejected for so long. My husband won't go out of his way to hug me and give me random kisses because he's felt rejected. So he won't he won't go out of his way. Yes, to, but he but physical touches his love language. I think they might mean different things by that. Okay, I think sometimes people say physical touch when they mean sex. Maybe, yeah, yeah, that could be it. Gary Chapman says that that's not actually a love. No, language. No, I know that's not a love language. I don't yeah. think I don't think so either. But I think a lot of people sort of. I mean, sex feels good, right? Yeah. So people say, "Hey, I like sex. That's my love language." You know, right? Yeah. Same like same way that women say like you know getting expensive stuff is my love language. It's yeah. Like, it's yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. It's okay. not, not really a love language. But, mm -hmm. Okay. 
I, I now feel that the only way to fix this is to somehow overcome my feelings of rejection to give him what he needs. I know once I do, he will give me what I need. The problem is I don't know where to start because it's hard to ignore my rejection and I'm just lost. Mm. Okay, so what she's saying is she likes non-sexual touch, mm-hmm. um, but he won't do that unless she gives him sex. Right. If she gives him sex, he might do this, the non-sexual touch thing, but he won't come with the non-sexual touch thing if she doesn't give him sex in the first place. Right. Okay, this was totally us when we got married. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Maybe that's yeah. why I think everybody totally, has this problem. Totally what we were like. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> like, I was a young man and I was... I totally sexualized all my needs. Like mm-hmm. m- my only love language was sex because yes. that's what I was taught. And I was taught, you know, wait till you're married and it's going to be amazing and it's going to, mm-hmm. you know, and it feels really good and it's perfect yeah. and everything's great. And, you know, like all your baggage, all your insecurities, whatever, all sex will make it all feel better. Right? Yeah. So, so this is what we, we were like. And, and so, you know, I would not really feel affectionate to you if you were kind of shutting me out in the bedroom. And yes. you didn't really feel like having sex with me if I was shutting you out by not giving you non-physical touch, non-sexual touch. And it's like this mountain of hurt gets between you. Because you're you're both like, well, like, why should I give you what you need when you won't give me what I need? And it's it's like, you sort of feel like, you know, like I'm I'm not asking for much Mm -hmm. and you won't give it to me. So why should you ask, why should I go above and beyond for you when you'll give me the bare minimum? It's kind of how you feel sometimes. And it's hard to see over that mountain of hurt because of how strong your feelings are. And so I want to tackle this question. I do want to give a caveat that it sounds like this is an otherwise healthy relationship. Like she hasn't mentioned any red flags. So she's, Mm. you know, there's no... Although although washing different colors on different days is like a little OCD. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But there's no, there's no like, it doesn't sound like there's any character issues. It doesn't sound like there's any abuse. It doesn't sound like, it just sounds like there's hurt. Okay. You know, but no toxicity. So so the advice that I'm going to give is really for a marriage where, yeah, there's just this distance that's grown, this drift that's grown, but it's not due to any toxicity or harmful behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even marriages that don't have those kind of problems still get into these kind of situations, yeah. right? Yeah, Okay, so I, I want to tackle the, the low libido mm-hmm. thing for a minute. Okay. I, and I said this... So in, the person who who doesn't really want to engage in sex. Right. Okay. And I said this in The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and a bit in The Good Guys as well too. But, but we, this was at the end of the book. So this is like after we figured out the orgasm piece, after we figured out you know, the marriage piece and making sure your marriage is strong and you feel connected and mental load. Like after we figured out all of that and we're just looking at libido, mm-hmm. okay? Because libido and frequency is something that you tackle after you you yeah. sort out all the yeah. other stuff. So, so what I'm about to say applies to people who sex does feel good when you have it, you have a strong marriage. And if sex doesn't feel good, then, then deal with orgasm. The books go into great detail on how to reach orgasm. We have an orgasm course, all kinds of stuff like that. Okay. But by the way, I would just have to say that you're talking about how like you need to address all these underlying issues in your relationship before you start talking about frequency. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying that as if it's a normal thing, but I don't think most Christian resources talk like that. I think that's really unique to you. Like, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but just, mm-hmm. I just want to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing people with responsive libidos need to know. Okay. A responsive libido simply means that you don't walk around and look at your spouse and go, I Inst- want some of that. Instantaneous yeah, like, like, desire. Yeah, like, I got it. I got it. Yeah. I got to get that, right? Like, you don't, you don't necessarily feel sexy as you walk around. But that doesn't mean you're not sexual and it doesn't mean you can't enjoy sex. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. This, is, this is so key. And I think when people get this concept, it can change everything. Because we tend to think that being in the mood means I am actively wanting sex right now. 
But there's a lot of people who never actively want sex or who don't actively want sex until after they yeah. have started kissing and touching mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. being affectionate. Um, yeah. it's, we it's, talk about that in the sexual response cycle in the good guy's guide and the good girl's guide, right? Mm-hmm. So, so some people, you have desire, mm-hmm. like you feel a desire to connect sexually with your spouse. Then you start into excitement, which is sort of that kissing, holding hands, warming, you know, up. warming up, then you move into arousal that, and then down the rest of the sexual response cycle. But some people, they need that excitement first. Like there's some kissing and touching before they're like, oh, actually, you know, this, this, <laughs> yeah. I might want to have sex now. Like, and, yes. But it wasn't, the thought wasn't in their head beforehand. But once you start getting engaged, then it's like, oh, this is actually something I might want. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, that's how, that's a responsive libido that you're talking about. And people who are spontaneous libido, people don't, realize that that's a totally valid way of looking mm-hmm. at sex mm-hmm. because you know hollywood and all the movies and stuff they're all spontaneous libido it's like oh, i'm excited and if you really wanted me you'd want me all the time even if i'm like yeah scratching my back yeah. with a with a little bristle brush <laughs> yeah. you still look at me and go oh i want you yes. you know like yes but the idea that we have to start kissing and getting worked up before you want me feels like a bit of a rejection for a person who's a spontaneous libido person. Right. And we need to get past that. Yeah, because it doesn't mean that you're not as sexual, that you can't enjoy sex or anything like that. And and the biggest sex organ that we have is our brains. <laughs> and so when you start kissing and touching and you say to yourself, you know what? I want to feel amazing mm. tonight. Yeah. I want to feel close to my spouse. I want to. I want to just go through tomorrow giggly and touching yeah. and affectionate because that often happens. You get, after you you have get sex. an oxytocin rush. Yeah, you, you get a dopamine feel, rush. You feel right. bonded. It's you know, good. I want to. I want to sleep well because yep. orgasm helps you sleep better. Like, like all of these things are good for me too. And so you start kissing, and you're like, you know what? I want to do this. This is going to feel amazing. And you start paying attention to what your body is feeling and you start telling your body, this is going to be amazing. And you give all those positive messages and your body tends to kick in, Mm -hmm. you know, but we don't realize often that we have that power. Mm -hmm. Um, And we think that we need to wait until our bodies magically wake up. (laughs) Yeah. And, and then we end up like having sex like four times a year or something because we don't realize it. (laughs) So your challenge to the, the to the responsive mm-hmm. spouse, the responsive libido spouse, is to start the process of initiating that excitement phase and seeing where it goes. And yeah. maybe you will get desire, right? Yeah, and I, I do want to say, like, one of the things we said in, in The Good Girl's Guide, and this was actually Rebecca's line. She comes up with, like, all the best lines, even in the mm-hmm. book she doesn't write. You know, we go out for walks with, with the grandkids, and we talk about this <laughs> stuff, and she'll say a line. And I don't know what we're going to do when Alex yeah, is getting, old enough to, like, say, understand what we're where, talking about. Getting to the point where he's understanding things we should probably... <laughs> but, but, like, there's a difference between not wanting to have sex right now mm-hmm. and wanting not to have sex right now. <laughs> okay. okay. So like not wanting to have sex yeah. right now is like, yeah, it's just, it's not really on your radar. It's yeah. not what you're thinking about. But, but actually actively wanting to not have sex right now yeah. is like, no, yeah. like I, there's, I, this there, is, I do not want to do that tonight. Yeah. There's the, I'm opposed to this. Yes. And there's the, I wasn't thinking about it. Right. I'm open to it. And I'm not saying that people who are opposed to it, like if you're just in the, no, this is, cannot happen tonight. That's okay. Like, yeah. that's fine. But if it's if it's just more like, it's just not on my radar, well, maybe it can get on your radar. Yeah. 
And that's yeah. and that's more the challenge. So yeah. for yeah, so if you're if you're more of a responsive libido, that's your challenge. But then I think so it's also yeah, a challenge. Yeah, for the for the the spontaneous libido person, I think mm-hmm. the big challenge there is to really value non sexual touch. Yeah. Because the spontaneous libido people sort of they get desire and they want to kind of race to the end of the finish line. And they want to mm-hmm. go through the excitement, arousal, all these phases and get to the end. That's what they're sort of thinking. They tend to be very directional. Um, and if she I, I, sorry, I'm going to say she because um, often it's the woman that needs the warming up mm-hmm. and she's the more responsive one. If she needs to have non-sexual touch for a while to find out if she's excited and aroused and wants to have sex, mm-hmm. then the best thing you can do is just have lots of non-directional, just non-sexual touch just to enjoy each other without the sense that it has to go anywhere. Because if every time she starts kissing you or starts showing affection to you physically, you assume it's going to go all the way to sex. Mm-hmm. And that's the expectation. And she knows that's the expectation. She's never going to feel comfortable doing that. Yeah, because often guys will say, well, well, I thought you wanted to tonight. And the truth is she doesn't know if she wants to tonight until after they've started yeah. kissing and, t- and see if the desire kicks in, yeah. see if her brain can get in the right place, see if her body can get in the right place. And yeah. so she honestly doesn't know until yeah. you've started. And that's what I think a lot of people don't understand. Yeah. And I think, so, so giving the, her the option to say, you know what, I thought so, but I don't think I'm really there tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and being okay with that and just learning to control your yourself and and control your emotions you know mm-hmm. with that kind of stuff and not always to feel rejected because that's just the way that they work yeah. but the other thing I, I would say too is is just really trying to keep a low level of constant like kind of non-sexual affection going mm-hmm. in your marriage is really really good because then it's kind of more likely to stay on the lower libido spouse's radar screen if there's a lot of kind of affection stuff if if you never touch them unless you want to have sex then they associate every time you touch them with pressure and obligation and they're disappointing you if they don't and all those kind of negative things. And you want them to associate your touch with positive things. So having a lot of, I'm just touching you because I love being around you and I love being mm-hmm. with you and I want to feel you to feel good and, and it may go somewhere and it may not and that's cool. You know, that can really help. Build, yeah, and that's hard. Intimacy. We understand that's hard. Like I think both. Oh, both, it can be difficult. Yeah, both partners are doing something which yeah. is outside their comfort zone. But that I think that's what's important when we're looking at couples where there has been this drift and there's this mountain of hurt, mm-hmm. because what she's saying is, if I reach out and meet his needs, I know he'll meet mine. Mm-hmm. But the idea is, he's only doing it because I did something first, so it's not real. Mm. Okay. And I think that's often the feeling is I want my spouse to meet my needs spontaneously without me having to do anything or else it's not genuine. And that's where we get into these impasses, mm-hmm. which is where they're at. They're at an impasse. And I guess what I would just say is, look, <laughs> if there's drift and you can do something about it, mm-hmm. why are we always worrying about what's fair? Yeah. Sometimes just, just reach out. And just take that first mm-hmm. move. Mm-hmm. And if you're always the one to take the first move, then yeah, talk yeah. about that and say that's not right. I, I think there's two things here. I think the first thing is, is you know, if there is a situation where unless I have sex with my spouse, they don't treat me well, mm-hmm. that's a different story. We're not mm-hmm. talking about that. We're talking about a, you know, but if you have sex with your spouse and they treat you better the next day because they're happy and they feel close to you, that's that's still real. Like they're not... Yes. They're not faking it. They actually do genuinely feel close to you. Yeah. And, and that's that, that's not faking. That's not unreal, like she said, right? And the second thing is, is, you know, if you do feel like when you go through periods of drift 
that you are always the one that's, you know, kind of trying to bridge the gap. I think you need to sit down and have a conversation about that. Mm-hmm. But I think you also need to be open to the possibility that maybe you're overestimating your contribution and underestimating your spouse's mm-hmm. contribution because we all tend to do that. I know lots of cases where people have, have had that kind of conversation where they said, I feel like I'm the one that's always bridging the gap. And the spouse said, oh, that's funny because that's exactly how I feel. I'm always the one bridging the gap. And sometimes we don't understand each other's bids to connect. Like when, when we're trying to connect with each other, we don't always see that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really important to be able to, re- to, um, to recognize and respond to bids to connect. That's what Gottman talks a lot about. Uh, mm-hmm. to build a healthy marriage yeah exactly okay so there we go if you can if you can bridge the gap and you can yeah. stop the go drift ahead. do it i mean you're it's just gonna bring the tension level down your marriage you're gonna yep. feel better and these these things uh, what what's the alternative would you rather just keep the big mountain there so yeah. sometimes we just need to step outside our comfort zone as we're ending, I have I have some encouragement. Okay. Are you ready for it? Yep. Okay, so this is a, somebody on our launch team, a guy okay. on our launch team for the Good Guys Guide to Great Sex. He got ah. to read an early copy. So it's a review. Yes, a review, and I will read it. So this is from Levi, and he says this. This book, The Good Guys Guide to Great Sex, right here. Okay, here we go. Yes, this book has changed the way I look at sex. It covers it all. I was convicted by every chapter I read and learned so much by reading it and talking about it with my wife. Do you wonder if you can look at a woman without lust? Read chapter 15. Do you ever think, am I coercing my wife into having sex with me? Read chapter 13. Or is my wife supposed to orgasm when we have sex? Read chapters four, five, six, I guess really all of them. Yeah, pretty much. Um, (laughs) Every man needs to read this book. It's been the hardest book I've ever read on marriage Mm. because of the way I viewed sex and intimacy. It's given me words and actions to take to redeem the damage that has been done in our marriage because of a lot of Christian books. Thank you, Sheila and Keith, for this amazing resource. I'll be recommending it to everyone. Mm. That's good. Yeah. That's neat. That's really great. I love how he talks about how it was a hard book to read but a good book, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I think that when The Great Sex Rescue came out, you got a lot of reviews from guys saying that basically there's finally a book that treats men like they can be men, mm-hmm. you know? Like, because I think a lot of guys feel like the Christian church kind of coddles men. You know, that men are just big toddlers that want sex all the time and you should give it to the women, yeah. right? And it's like, I think men, I think there's a group of men out there who are ready to stretch themselves, to be better lovers, better husbands, better fathers. And I think this book really answers that. If you if you want a book that's going to tell you you're perfect exactly the way you are and she, you deserve everything and she should give it to you, The Good Guy's Guide is not for you. No. If you. If you want to rock your wife's world, if you want to be the kind of husband that makes a difference uh, in your marriage, it's good for you. Yeah. Yeah. And Good Girl's Guide as well. So both those books, by the time we talk to you next time on the next podcast, The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex and the all new, totally revised Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex will have launched. So that's exciting. They come out on Tuesday. You can get them now. There are links in the podcast notes for the books. And let's make these the go-to books for premarital couples, for wedding showers, and for couples who are just still trying to figure this out, who are already married. Because I think the more people buy these books, the fewer people are going to get all messed up and need the great sex rescue later. So (laughs) yes for that. So thanks for joining us and we will see you again next week. Bye. Bye.